The Snake River Killer podcast is tracking multiple active and cold cases. This investigation is happening in real time. All individuals named and unnamed in this podcast are innocent until proven guilty by a court of law. Where is Christina White? Who is the suspect? Detective Jackie Nichols believes there may be a connection between Christina White's disappearance, the murders of Christina Nelson and Brandy Miller, as well as the disappearance of Stephen Pearsall. All suspected to have fallen victim at the hands of another. Law enforcement made a critical discovery shortly after the murders of Miller and Nelson. The man that was working in the theater that night lived at the home where Christina White disappeared from. He was very odd himself. He was more creepy, scary odd. She was on the porch and she waved goodbye. And that was the last time I saw her. Hey everyone, Brandon Schrand here. I want to introduce some bonus content to the show that I'm calling Listeners Heard. Uh, it's based on the fact that listeners heard something, engaged with it, reached out to me with an idea I found interesting, uh, worth discussing further. Um, and then I bring them on to the show where they are in turn heard by other listeners. So this first installment of Listeners Heard features Samantha Sawyer, who reached out to me between episodes three and four with an observation she made about the Lost Husky ad. And in point of reference, she didn't know at this point that I had found two other classified ads that had to do with dogs. The last thing I'll mention before I get into our conversation is that Samantha has uh, kindly agreed to join the Snake River Killer podcast team. She'll be handling some graphic design work as well as assisting in the investigation itself. Oh, and just a heads up on the audio quality of this episode. For reasons that will soon become clear, I had to turn this one around quickly, so there wasn't enough time for me to send it to Blake, our engineer. So if it sounds different, don't blame him. Blame me. Talk a little bit about what it was that you contacted me about, what stood out to you. Um, you know, I knew it had to do with the classified ad, but what was it about the ad that stood out to you? And then how did you kind of engage with that? And what were, what were you thinking when you were engaged with that? Yeah, so um, I, like you, thought the ad was just worded really funny. Um and I, um, I used to go to bar trivia a lot with my friends um, okay. before I had my son. And one of the um, challenges that they had at bar trivia were the anagrams or the word mm -hmm. scrambles. Right. And so I just kind of thought, well, what if I take these extra letters and I see, you know, if there's any hidden messages or any sort of... Um, any other kind of words or clues kind of left in here. Um, but I also think kind of what clued me in was just kind of the the weirdness of the ad. Um, kind of most notably, um, 
you know the phone numbers i know the first phone number i don't think we know where that first phone number leads to um but that second right. phone number is his but it just strikes me odd that he would list the other phone number first you know obviously you would list the phone numbers in the order you would want people to try to call them in Interesting. and so you know they he obviously wanted them to call that other number first and the other thing that kind of struck me out as kind of odd was um, the specification of evenings and weekends. Because if your pet's missing, you know, you're you're going to want that person to call whenever they find your pet. Then you don't want them to wait until, right. you know, six o'clock to call you. And I don't know what the voicemail situation was in 87. I'm not sure if they would have had voicemail or anything like that. So maybe that's why um, the eaves and weekends was specified but the eves specifically just seeing that eves i just was like huh so that's kind of what clued me into the seven and seeing you know what other words were in there um explain the seven part uh for the listeners right so i took um so the ad says you know lost march 3rd in the Asotan area brown husky so I took basically the leftover letters. So everything from all of the letters, I guess, from REA to the end of the ad. Right. And I wrote them all down on a piece of paper and just tried to unscramble them. And one of the phrases that I was able to pull out of that um, was seven years now or year seven now. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And you had meant message to me, wouldn't that have been seven birthdays for Christina White right around that time? Yeah, correct. So I never saw that. So I find that really, really fascinating. Um, so I also looked at some of the leftover um, words, the leftover uh, letters and you know, I wasn't able to come up with that, but it's interesting because as I was preparing uh, my thoughts for this interview, I got a message from a couple in Wisconsin who said, um, we want to know if Lance's name is in it, if his mm -hmm. last name is in it, because I'm not using his last name. And it turns out that, yes, his, his first name and last name are both in the ad, but not consecutively, not like mm -hmm. Christina White's name or not, not, not like Christina's name is consecutively. So I haven't said anything that, you know, about that on the show because Lance is a fairly short name and his last name is also short. Yeah. Uh, so it'd be easy to kind of pull out, you know, you could probably pull out a number of names, right. From the jumble of letters, but seven years now, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, just like I said, there's, um, and kind of like you've noted, when you're doing a classified ad, it's straight to the point. Yes. Here's what's lost. Here's how to contact me. Right. You know? And so I just thought there has to be a reason that he included evenings and weekends. And it just, it would be really interesting to see where that first phone number goes to. Right. And I hadn't thought about the order of the phone numbers. So I find that really interesting, uh, particularly because, um, Episode four will drop uh, one week from tomorrow, and that includes two more classified ads that I found mm -hmm. um, that relate to these cases. And it's the 243 number that's in both of those. And again, uh, the two ads that are in episode four, one is kind of startling and 
they're actually both fairly startling in their own way, only because we have the context of this one. The one ad to the two, four, three, they're both about dogs. So we've got three dogs in three ads. Which I, I I don't know if you kind of, I mean, I don't know. I just kind of realized this, but in a way, if it is him, it's kind of him calling them bitches. It's a little creepy. You just said that because the one ad is all caps and it's Afghan bitch colon uh, three years old, $75 or best offer. Um, and then his phone number 243 and then a different phone number from this one. So the one ad is Afghan bitch. Now, yes, that's the correct term for a female dog. Um, but I look at, and it fell, that ad dropped in the paper three days after what would have been Christina White's uh, 14th birthday. So it aligns again with a date. So you have to look at the timing and the wording with him. Yeah, gotcha. And I think that's important. Uh, and if I'm learning anything about Lance, it's that he's uh, intentional with his word choice. Um, he wrote a lot of letters to the editor, which I'll do a mini episode on. Um, a preoccupation in almost all of his letters is death, um, which is sort of not surprising if he is, in fact, guilty of these crimes. Um, the other ad uh, ran exactly one year to the day after Kristen David's body parts were found. It was July 4th, uh, 1982, mm. one year after Kristen David. And it was found German Shepherd on Snake River Avenue. Um, so when Christina White went missing, we get a lost dog ad. And when yeah. Kristen David's body parts were found, we get a found dog ad. Spooky. I, again, I don't really know what to make of these ads. I mean, all the ads are related to dogs, and all the ads fall on or close to significant dates related to these cases. They are also thematically suggestive. Or that could just be me imposing meaning on top of something that is essentially meaningless. That said, it's just difficult to look away from the patterns. Anyway, I'll keep digging, and if I find anything more, I'll let you know. Let's jump back into my conversation with Samantha. Yeah, and I had commented on um, one of your posts in the Snake River, the Facebook group, yeah. and somebody had commented um, commented to my comment, and she had mentioned that they were neighbors with him in Lewiston, and they said that his dog's name was Killer. Really? Like, I think I must have <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I must have missed that. Yeah. Um, well, and one of the things that we talk about in the next episode, which you probably know if you've looked into these cases, is the roles that Lance played in plays. In um, and he played in arsenic in arsenic and old lace. He plays um the character who is a serial killer. Um that's one. He plays a very evil person in um The King and I. So you add all of this up and you begin to get a picture of a person's mind at work, right? Well, and it's not only all that, I think too, it's the coincidences of all of the things that happened before and the stuff that happened afterward too, you know, it's just kind of like death doesn't follow someone like that without it, you know, without it being more than just a coincidence. 
Right. I've been around a long time and uh, I don't have bodies dropping left and right in my orbit, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, well, I'll be interested to get your feedback on the next two ads. Um, so because you have, uh, uh, you're look, you're seeing things I'm not saying, um, I don't claim to be able to see everything. That's why I'm engaging the audience because they're seeing things that I would have never seen. And so I really appreciate your engagement in that and your work on that and for taking the time and for thinking about it so carefully uh, in the way you have. Um, anything else you want to add? Um, no, just, I, you know, really enjoying the show and I really like the approach that you're taking. It's, you know, I've watched a lot of documentaries and listened to a bunch of stuff and I'm learning more about, you know, the victims that I didn't know previously, the things that they were into and things that they studied. So, yeah. um, it's, it's humanizing. It's nice. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. Not long after Samantha contacted me, I had someone else reach out to me with a potentially startling discovery, something that kind of made my head spin. But before I get into that, I want to first offer up a metaphor because I'm a writer first and foremost and tend to lean in that kind of direction anyway, but second and most important because it came to mind and really struck me when this listener reached out. The metaphor you should know isn't mine. It comes from the writer David James Duncan. Many years ago, he wrote about the life cycle of trees, specifically those that reside along riverbanks and what happens to them when they fall into their host rivers. First, they provide a massive infusion of nutrients into the river, but over time, they begin to break down. But there are parts of the trees, those knots filled with pitch, that refuse to break down. He likens these trees to our human experience. The trees themselves are our present lives. The flow of water is the passing of time. Time eventually ushers us away. But those knots, he suggests, are the parts of our human experience that remain. He calls these knots river teeth because that's what he called them as a kid and because that is kind of what they look like. There are, he writes, small parts of every human past that resist this natural cycle. There are hard cross-grained whorls of memory that remain inexplicably lodged in us long after the straight-grained material that housed them washes away. Most of these whorls are not stories exactly. More often they are self-contained moments of shock or of inordinate empathy, moments of violence, uncaught dishonesty, mystical terror, lust, or preposterous love, end quote. What does any of this have to do with these cases, you ask? Well, this past summer, an L.C. Valley resident named Tamara, her boys and her partner Ryan, were out boating on the Snake River near Asotin, Washington, the town from which Christina White had gone missing. They disembarked and set out for a short walk along the river's sandbars. Strolling the sandbar, Tamara happened to look down, and something caught her eye. She looked closer and closer still at the small object tumbling in a river eddy. She crouched and snatched it up, and what she held in her hand is what appeared to be an entire human tooth. And when I say entire tooth, I mean roots fully intact and all. It also appeared to be a human canine or premolar, possibly from a child. What stood out to them and what stands out to me is the wholeness of the tooth. It's not a broken tooth, a split tooth, the top of a baby tooth, or a cracked tooth, but an entire tooth. 
as in, it was either extracted on the river or it came from a skull. Alarmed by what they may have potentially found, they reached out to the Nez Perce County Sheriff's Office and turned it in. And for context, the town of Lewiston, Idaho, is part of Nez Perce County. In this case, we aren't dealing with some fancy literary metaphor. We're dealing with what could be a human tooth found on the banks of the Snake River. This is an actual river tooth, and if it belonged to, say, Christina White, then the metaphor also applies. Because... Each one of these cases is like one of those river teeth that Duncan wrote about. Each was and is a self-contained moment of shock and violence. And as I had mentioned in episode 3, the kind of trauma associated with these cases is generational and inherited, and it doesn't go away. It remains inexplicably lodged within the family, defying both time and the vagaries of memory. I was in between episodes four and five when Tamara, who's been following the show, reached out to me with a photograph of the tooth. Then she sent me one of the common photographs of Christina White on which Tamara had circled one of Christina's canine teeth. And when I looked at these pictures and compared, I have to say I was fairly stunned. From the looks of it, and I am by no means an expert, it looked like it could definitely be a match. After I saw Tamara's photographs, I texted Christina's sister, Carlin. Have you been asked for a DNA swab by police in the past six months or so? She wrote back, No, no one has contacted me about anything. Then I asked, Has your brother Kirk been contacted? Same answer, No. I found this rather baffling. Christina White, notwithstanding, there are a number of people who have gone missing from the Elsie Valley over the years prior to Lance's arrival, during his time in the valley, and after his departure, so I would think something like this would light a fire in local law enforcement. But, according to Tamara, she said the deputy to whom they had given the tooth seemed confused as to why she and Ryan were even giving them the tooth in the first place. It turns out that Tamara also contacted Gloria about the tooth, so she and I compared notes. Like me, she thought it could be a match. She then shared the photos with an anthropologist friend who suggested it might not be human, coming instead from an animal. So I wanted to reach out to the Nez Perce County Sheriff's Office to follow up to see what, if anything, they had to say. Office of Jacqueline Mora, the Sheriff's Executive Coordinator. I'm not here at the moment, but if you leave me a quick message and your contact information, I'll get back to you as soon as I'm available. Thank you. Please leave your message after the tone. When done, hang up or press the pound key. Hi, my name is Brandon Schrand, and I'm an author and podcaster, and I'm following up on what appears to have been a human tooth that was turned into your office this past summer, and which was found along the Snake River. Um, if somebody could give me a call back, I would really appreciate it. Thanks so much. While I waited to receive a call back from the sheriff's office, I set up a time to speak with Tamara and Ryan about the tooth. Hello. Hello, is this Tamara? It is. This this is Brandon Schrand. How are you? I'm good, Brandon. How are you? Good. Is Ryan on the call as well? He is. Yeah. He's sitting right here. I have you on speakerphone. Perfect. Hi, Ryan. Hey, how are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for taking some time to uh, talk with me. 
Um, is it okay with the two of you if I record this? I don't care. Yes. All right. Thank you. So, um, again, you know, thanks for reaching out and for agreeing to speak with me a little bit about what you found. I was wondering if we could start out um, just by maybe introducing yourselves and how long you've been in the uh, LC Valley. I'm Ryan Wood. I've been in LC Valley since 1974. I've been born and raised here. Okay. And I am Tamara Metling. I moved here from the Tri-Cities, and I've only been over here oh, almost two and a half years. Okay, okay. Did you grow up in the Tri-Cities? I did. Yeah, I lived there, uh, let's see, uh, 76 through 81, I think. So. Yeah, uh, I, I was born in 76, so. Okay. So, um, why don't you... Uh, I, you know, and whoever wants to take point on this, uh, walk me through th the events that day. Where were you and what were you doing and uh, what led up to what you found? Uh, well, we were, we took the uh, dogs and the boys up river, up to Snake River, um, up on the jet boat. And me and my youngest son were walking along the beach as the other boys were out fishing in the boat and we were looking for seashells and I looked down and I thought, Oh weird. It's a piece of coral, which, you know, there's no coral here, but I right. bent down and picked up this small white, what I thought was a piece of shell or a coral. And it was a tooth and it kind of freaked me out a little bit. And I just looked at my son and I said, Oh look, I lost my tooth kind of jokingly, right. well, when Ryan and the boys came back, I did the same thing to them, and Ryan looked at me, and he says, that's a human tooth, and I said, no way, and he said, yeah, it is, and it, you know, kind of scared me, and then he told me the history of the disappearances okay. here in the LC Valley, and immediately, you know, I put it in my pocket, and he said, we need to turn that into the police, so, um, we loaded everybody up and came back to the house and uh, decided to call the uh, Lewiston, uh, the Sheriff's Department, Nespers County Sheriff's Department, and they sent somebody out, and the only thing the officer said was, oh, that's weird. That was, <laughs> that was the reaction. Another thing. That was the only reaction of the officer? Yes. Hmm. Okay. Do you, do you, uh, did the officer leave a card or anything for follow-up? Uh, no, he didn't. Um, I called last week. Okay. And one of their evidence guys at the sheriff's department called me back because he was on night shift. And he said, oh, that's a, that's a corner. Predator. I think he said a predator tooth out of a bear cougar something like that and i'm like you know i've and he goes yeah it wasn't human and i'm like i told him i said i've killed a lot of animals in my lifetime and their teeth do not look like human but i don't know right that's what he told me i don't know if they did any i don't know who or if they had anybody look at it besides themselves or Right. What the deal was. 
Um, yeah, I mean, that was my question, uh, Ryan, was, you know, how certain were you that it was a human tooth versus, you know, <clears throat> an animal? And it sounds like, you know, you've done a fair amount of hunting and, uh, you know, you've been around animal teeth. Um, yeah. It certainly looked, to me, from the photo, it looked like either a premolar or like a human canine. Um, yeah. Well, my ex-husband is a doctor, and uh, I showed him the picture, and he said that that's most definitely a human tooth. Really? So, yes, and I don't I don't know if if the Nez Perce County Sheriff's Department did any work to find out what it was, if they even investigated it. Right. So I have a close friend who's a dentist, and I'm gonna show him the picture just to see what he has to say about it. Um, yeah. That- that would probably be more than likely. I always thought human teeth had four uh, root system, but I'm not sure. That was the only thing I wasn't sure about because I think that one only had three. Okay. Yeah, and and I don't know because I'm not, I'm not a dentist. I'm not an oral surgeon or anything like that. So that's why I thought I would put it to him to see what he has to say. But, you know... Um, you know, it's just, it really, really struck me, especially when you look at that picture of Christina White and where you kind of circled or one of you circled that tooth, you know, in that picture of hers. I mean, it appears that it could potentially be a match, right? I thought it was because if you look at her tooth, it's kind of flat. And then that tooth that I found has the same flat spot. Right, right, right. You know, and I reached out to Christina's sister and I said, hey, in the last six months, have you been contacted by the Nez Perce Sheriff's Department for a DNA swab? And she said, what? No, nobody's contacted me about anything. So, you know, if they didn't do due diligence on this tooth and put it to an expert and they just kind of, you know, shrugged it off, that's that's pretty well disappointing is maybe a mild way of putting it especially given the number of folks that have gone missing from the lc valley um did you guys look around that particular area to see if there was anything else i did and i found there was an old rusty um what looked to be like a, a shovel i mean it was it was not like the shovels from today mm. it was it was small it was about three quarters the size of a shovel that would be found mm-hmm. in Home Depot these days. Um, but we just kind of tossed that up into the weeds, but we, we did look around and didn't find anything else. I thought for sure the sheriff's department would want to go out and look. Right. right. But, and I questioned if they contacted Jackie Nichols about it and I haven't heard anything. Right. And I need to, check in with Gloria and Jackie. I've got Jackie on my calendar to do another interview. Um, so I'll check in with her as well. But And I'll keep you guys uh, in the loop. So, Ryan, can you tell me kind of specifically where this was found? If we were to look at a map and point to it, do you have a, a sense of kind of the, the area there? It's probably uh, three quarters down, uh, three quarters of a mile to a half mile down from Redbird Beach on the Idaho side. Okay, and for the folks that don't know, 
where that is. Um, in rel- how far is it relative to say a Soten, which I've explained on this show, kind of where that is. Um, it would be. My grandpa lived up by Coos Creek, and it takes about um, twenty, probably twenty minutes or thirty minutes to get to his place from a Soten. So you're probably talking. 18, 19 miles, 20 miles. From a Soton. From a Soton, probably. It's probably 20 miles up from a Soton. It, it, I don't know. I'd have to look at a map to actually get you the okay. uh, estimated mileage on it. But more likely, it's probably about 15, 20 miles up there, probably. Is that, just to clarify, is that downriver or upriver from a Soton? It's upriver from a Soton. Upriver from a Soton. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Um, you know, if, if you ever had the chance, and I can probably do this too, just based on what you told me, I'll try to put a map together and, and, uh, but if you guys had time to maybe put it, you know, like get a, get a, a map off of Google maps and then maybe circle yeah. the area where you found it, that would be super helpful because um, I happen to have now, I now have a licensed drone pilot. <clears throat> so in the spring, we have a number of locations we're going to go out to. And we want to go when the snow is gone, but before the trees get a lot of foliage on them. So we can try to try to get some, um, some aerial footage. And he's got some pretty high-tech stuff. So... Uh, that that would be one area that I'd want to, you know, if, if it turns out to be that this is a human tooth, that would be one area I'd definitely want to look at. And um, you might call the, um, I, I could pro- I probably could call the sheriff's department back and see if they still have it, but I don't know what they did with that tooth, or I didn't even ask him, he just goes, yeah, it was some predator's tooth, and I, I've killed cougars and everything else, and Right. I personally, their root systems aren't the same as humans and everything else like that. So, right. Uh, right. One guy said it could be a bear, but usually, if if a bear dies or something, their their lower jaws are intact and everything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The yeah. lower jaw would be separate from the upper upper half of the skull, but um, usually that's what you find is like. The jaw piece is just not a single, single. tooth. Right, not a single tooth. And yeah. where the roots are intact on this, I mean, that's not... And let's just, for sake of argument, say it is a human tooth. With the roots intact, I mean, that's not like somebody just lost a tooth. That's like either a full extraction or it came from a skull, right? Yeah, yeah it came from a skull, yes. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, or it was an extraction. Somebody got pulled. And <laughs> I don't know why they would toss it on a beach over on the yeah. It's roadless over there, so. Right. I mean, who's going to do a tooth extraction on, on the river? You know, no one. Yeah. No one. So, okay, you know, I did call the Nez Perce Sheriff's Office, but got the uh, got an answering machine, so I put in um, a message to have them call me back. So, uh, I you know, I can follow up as well. Okay. But, but, you know, if it turns out, you know, after I, you know, you know, have my dentist friend take a look at this and if he leans on the side of that it's a human tooth, then what I would like to do is kind of, you know, 
build a little bit of public pressure on the Nez Perce Sheriff's Department to, um, to maybe reconsider or take some action. Yeah. Um, I know there's a lot of people that die on that river every year and they yeah. don't find them. And it's like that one gal up on the Salmon River. I mean, they found her what, right at... Uh, they were. They found her right above. Uh, um, right there at Buffalo Eddy, and that's above um, Redbird, just right around the corner. So yeah. you know, it could be from anything, anybody. But it'd yep. be nice to know if whose tooth it was or whatever. If it is a human tooth. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. It 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 could have been somebody that, like you said, drowned or you know, whatever other reason and had nothing to do with these cases. If it is a human tooth, that is a real possibility, but it would be, it would be good to at least rule it in or rule it out. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, so Tamara, you didn't know about these cases until you found that tooth and Ryan told you, is that right? Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, I will be in touch uh, uh, after I talk with my friend, the dentist, and I'll let you know what he has to say. So um, I'm going to drop an episode uh, uh, tomorrow called Listeners Heard, where I've got another person that contacted me about another thing related to this case, and I brought her on the show. And then this piece will be on the show, if that's okay with you guys, uh, t- tomorrow. Yep. And... Um, and then I'm going to drop uh, another episode <clears throat> the following Monday. So, and then, you know, this is one of those things that's kind of a moving target. Depending on what we find out, I'll keep coming back to it until it's ruled in or ruled out. But, yeah, let's stay in touch if that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. All right. Well, listen, anything else you want to add before we go? No, well, this summer we're going to go back up there and look, though. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what I, you know, that's why I'm saying I would like to take a drone pilot out there and also just walk the walk that reach of the river and walk that sandbar and see um, see what we can see. Yeah, we will get uh, online and get a map, and I will uh, email it to you. That would be awesome. All right, thanks so much, you guys. I really appreciate it, and let's stay in touch. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Curious about the root structure of animal teeth, I started googling around, and weirdly enough, one of the first sites to pop up was a company called Moscow Hyden Fur, located in Moscow, Idaho. They evidently sell animal teeth, bones, and fur for what I imagine to be jewelry or taxidermy. Some of the teeth looked somewhat similar to the one that Tamara had found, but others looked radically different. The tooth that Tamara did find had three roots, so I started googling human molars and came across some articles saying that three-rooted molars are somewhat rare in humans, so it was beginning to look like to me that it wasn't a human tooth after all. But as I had mentioned to Tamara and Ryan, I wanted to check with my friend Larry, who's a dentist. So I messaged him. Hey, I wrote, it's my understanding that three-rooted molars are rare in humans. Is that true? And if so, have you ever come across one? He wrote back, upper molars are mostly three-rooted, sometimes two or four. Lower molars are mostly two-rooted, sometimes one or three. 
I've done root canals on two lower ones with four roots. It's a situation where it's uncommon, but most doctors merely look at it and say, huh, has more roots, and they carry on. So now I'm thinking it is still possible that this tooth could be human, and if so, then the Nez Perce Sheriff's Office really ought to do more analysis. Wanting to be sure, I sent the photo of the tooth to Larry to get his take, and I hope to have him on the show to discuss his findings. Meanwhile, I will be putting the photos of the tooth and the one of Christina up on our website under Resources Clues, so stay tuned. Anyway, I want to thank Tamara, Ryan, and Samantha for reaching out to me on these cases. If any of you have any ideas, information, leads, please get a hold of me. Who knows? Maybe you could be on an upcoming episode of the Snake River Killer podcast. Before I go, I want to let you know a couple of things. First, you won't have to wait two weeks for episode five. It will drop next Monday, Tuesday at the latest, December 20th. I apologize for the scheduling changeup, but when a listener asked me recently, is this investigation really being done in real time or do I have a bunch of episodes pre-recorded? I told her that it was very much in real time. And as such, when I get a lead like Tamara's and Ryan's, I need to be able to pivot away from my usual schedule. So I appreciate your patience and all your positive feedback. And I'll see you next time on The Snake River Killer. The Snake River Killer is a production of Resuscitate Media, LLC. I'm the host, Brandon Schrand. Original music is written and scored by the Young Knight Drifters. Special thanks to Blake Walker, our engineer, associate producers Gloria Boberts and Paul Dale, research assistant Tina Landry-Ott, and a special shout-out to Jennifer Anderson and Vernon Lott for letting us re-air portions of their documentary, Confluence. Be sure to visit us online at snakeriverkiller.com where you can find photos, maps, timelines, and other resources connected to these cases. Next time on the Snake River Killer. Arsenic and Old Lace. And he played uh, Jonathan Brewster, right? Is that the name? And what do we know about that character in that play? Jonathan was a serial killer, but the director essentially said something along the lines of, this is what people think already, and you playing this role isn't going to change that. Now that I look at it and think about it, he kind of had kind of crazy eyes. But he was such a chameleon when it came to his persona. The way Lance inserts himself into the timeline, I think he's given cryptic clues. He knew that the fog got over at midnight, but yet he says 11. Does that mean he caught up with the girls at 11? Wait, did you, sorry, did you say you lived with him? Yeah. He had confessed to me that he was having an affair with her and that he was the one to find the body. 